Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. We're soldiering through the work week and we're halfway home. And boy, do we have something special uh, for you today. I say this in all seriousness. If you're a dad, you need to watch this with your son or daughter. If you're a mom, you need to watch this show with your son or daughter. I think there are some life lessons that we can all learn uh, from this discussion we're going to have about Lamar Jackson uh, today. I, I, I think it's going to be a healthy discussion. We're going to try to make it a positive discussion. No interest in denigrating Lamar Jackson. I, I think Lamar Jackson's a great young man, as I'll discuss in the Firestarter, and then we'll have a discussion about it. And, and this discussion is, is so good, I wanted to bring in uh, Anthony into the discussion, Anthony Walker, who's you know here with us on most Wednesdays uh, as a part of Tennessee Harmony. But today I'm, I'm making Anthony a part of the entire show because Anthony's a dad, Anthony has clearly a biblical perspective, but Anthony's also a sports fan, and I think he can relate to all of this discussion. Uh, Jason Brown, uh, former, you know, Coach JB, former college coach, I think he's going to have a lot to add uh, to this discussion, so I can't wait to bring him on. And Steve Kim, of course, the Korean Cosell, has a great take on the sports world, and we'll bring him into the discussion about Lamar Jackson and, and all these issues we uncover there. But we'll also talk a little bit about Steve watched the show Succession, and we want to talk a little bit about that with Steve. And there's a little something going on in the media world between Dan Levitard and Stephen A. Smith, and we'll talk uh, with Steve Kim about that as well. But Anthony is here in studio with me for the entire show. So a round of applause for Anthony. Uh, before we get started, and I want to give you time to call your friends, call your kid, call whoever you need and say, hey, make sure you're watching this show. Uh, I also want you, while you're doing that, to hit the notifications button, to hit the subscription button. I saw some complaints yesterday in the chat about not getting the alerts for the show, and we have noticed that through uh, our internal information that we're able to get from YouTube. Many of you have forgotten to ring that bell, hit that bell so you get the notifications, or you need to redo it because perhaps you've been un <clears throat> or removed from the alerts and the notifications. Need you, hit the bell, hit the subscribe, hit the notifications. All of that helps us fight the algorithm and make this show more popular. You guys know what kind of a fight we're in. I need small, simple things from you guys to help us combat that notifications, subscribe, make sure that bell is turned on. Do those little small things to help the show. If you're listening over Apple or if you're listening to, you know, over podcast, needs you to hit that five-star review, needs you to write a comment or a review of the show. Those things help us fight the algorithm with Apple. Do those things, make me happy, and trust me, this show we have today it's going to be phenomenal. It's something that you'll be able to discuss uh, with your kids, your nieces and nephews, your wife, your husband, whomever. I think there's some lessons in here for all of us as we analyze what's going on with uh, Lamar Jackson. So <clears throat> let's, let's start here. Lamar Jackson's Tuesday night Twitter storm 
reminded me of how well-intentioned and transparent he is. It also confirmed my suspicion that a lack of proper guidance could very well turn the 26-year-old NFL superstar into a cautionary tale about pocket-watching, envy, and a victim's mentality. Lamar Jackson stands at a critical career crossroads. His desire to land a Deshaun Watson-type contract with all that guaranteed money and the media-driven drumbeat of victimization have distracted Lamar from the narrow path of football immortality he claims to prioritize. Jackson wants what Watson has, a fully guaranteed $200 plus million contract. Corporate and social media have convinced Jackson that the Baltimore Ravens should ignore common sense and repeat the mistake the Cleveland Browns made with Watson. It's pocket watching, the act of calculating happiness based on another man's bank account. Pocket watching is standard operating procedure in professional sports and in the business world at large. It's not healthy. It leads to envy. Envy leads to poor decision-making and a lack of gratitude. It corrupts the righteous man. Lamar Jackson is a righteous man fighting corruption. The careful reader can see it in Jackson's tweets and public persona. A day after tweeting a letter to my fans or his fans detailing his trade demand to the Ravens, Lamar Jackson unloaded another string of tweets Tuesday night, revealing frustration with his plight as an NFL free agent. His tweet storm started at 10.41 p.m. Eastern Time with a quote tweet of NFL writer Steven Ruiz, who posted a two-minute highlight package of accurate throws Jackson made in his final start of the 2022 season. Above it, Jackson tweeted, this game, with some emojis, replay, replay, bruh. Three minutes later, Jackson quote-teated Ruiz again. This time, Ruiz posted Jackson's impressive career stats against the coaches who have indicated they have no interest in pursuing Jackson in free agency. Jackson responded, I can't wait to see you all. 12 minutes later, Jackson unspooled solo tweets, directly addressing criticism that he skipped Baltimore's most recent playoff game as a negotiating ploy, not because of a knee injury. He wrote, quote, I don't remember me sitting out on my guys week one versus the Jets to week 12 versus the Broncos. How come all of a sudden I sit out because of money in which I could have got hurt at any time within that time frame? When we know the Super Bowl been on my mind since April 2018. Jackson immediately followed up with another tweet. Let's get real. I'd rather have 100% PCL than go out there and play horrible, forcing myself to put my guys in a bad situation now. That's selfish to me. He then pivoted to assuring his 1.1 million followers that he wasn't venting out of anger, writing, quote, all in all, I love you all. Don't ever think I have an attitude speaking on the net. I'm in great spirits at all times. If you know me, you know. Finally, around midnight, Jackson directed his followers to his fan page, fanstrus8.com, it's a site he recently launched. He stated his energy is coming from the content on his fan page. 
Just beneath the header to his website, Jackson quotes the Bible, Proverbs 16, 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. After the Bible quote, Jackson describes himself. I came into this world as a child of God. I strive to leave a lasting legacy for those who came after me. Faith fuels me, so I feed it every day. My hunger is towards shading all the negativity that may come my way. I find strength in my faith, family, and my fans, for they keep my village strong. I'm an athlete, I'm a businessman, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a believer, I'm a dreamer. As it relates to his contract negotiation, God is not directing Lamar's steps. Deshaun Watson is, Envy is, pocket watching is. I suspect, based on Lamar's tweets, his former Baltimore teammate Robert Griffin III is helping guide Jackson's steps. When Griffin was a rookie star for the Washington Redskins in 2012, he selfishly refused to come out of a playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks despite a knee injury that made him an obvious liability. Griffin, now an ESPN broadcaster, has been the primary media promoter of the narrative that Jackson is a victim. Like Jackson and Watson, Griffin professes a love of Christ. And like a lot of believers, they love the gospel of prosperity. Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, and my former favorite pastor, Mike Todd, disciple them from afar. No one is directing Jackson to Proverbs 1430. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Sexual immorality is perhaps the only sin more difficult to resist than envy. Envy clouds the narrow gate. It points toward the wide gate and broad road that leads to destruction. The Baltimore Ravens constructed the narrow gate that made Lamar Jackson an NFL MVP and a superstar. Envy is driving Lamar away from that narrow path. Corporate and social media will not tell Jackson that his path is far different from Deshaun Watson's and most other NFL quarterbacks. Jackson's run-first skill set lends itself to a specific offensive scheme and a specific football culture. He's not a plug-and-play quarterback who can find success in every style of offense. That's not intended as a major criticism of Jackson. It's a reflection of his narrow path that God blessed him with. Rather than anger towards the Ravens, Jackson should feel gratitude toward the organization that took a chance on him and then built its franchise around his unique skills. Jackson may convince another NFL franchise to meet his financial demands, but he will not duplicate the success he had in Baltimore. He's never going to be a true pocket passer. His pursuit of Deshaun Watson money is going to compel him to change his style of play it's going to diminish him. The people with the best chance of elevating Jackson as a passer reside in Baltimore. No organization and no coach will ever love Jackson more than the Ravens and John Harbaugh. He's their creation, their child, their investment. Unfortunately, 
Jackson's attitude has been corrupted. Gone is the young star who wore t-shirts advising his peers, no one cares, work harder. The most accomplished player in NFL history, Tom Brady, never submitted to financial envy. For 20 years, he chose a path, style of play, and organization that was right for his particular skill set. Peyton Manning out-earned Brady and compiled better statistics and more MVP trophies. But Tom Brady won the marathon. We don't give black quarterbacks the advice that work for the greatest of all time. Corporate and social media advise black quarterbacks to define themselves by money. We tell them they're victims of a racist league. The victim narrative started on draft night for Lamar Jackson. Moments after the Ravens made Jackson the final pick of the first round, Deion Sanders, one of the greatest players in NFL history, and a money idolater, placed a mic in Jackson's face and baited him to play the victim. Take a listen. What could you have done differently that you could have gotten out of that room quicker and got drafted earlier in your career? Nothing. I'm happy to be a Raven. It don't even matter. Uh, now it does matter, and now Jackson is not happy to be a Raven. Due to injuries, he's missed 10 of Baltimore's last 22 games. Despite that, the organization would easily pay Jackson 40 plus million a year over the next three or four years with $130 million in guarantees. Jackson does not meet anyone's standard of victim. He's incredibly blessed. He can't see it or acknowledge it because he's blinded by envy and a choir of short-sighted sycophants singing the gospel song, We Shall Overcome. It's sad. He's a great kid. He wants to follow God. But a wicked culture is baiting him to chase the bag. That's my fire starter. Before I bring Anthony in, I, I want to add this, and because I, I just didn't want to go on and on and on forever, and so I, I didn't put everything that, that I wanted to say, because a lot, this is personal for me, because I like Lamar Jackson. I like what he represents. He's on a journey in search of truth. He's, he's, he's inviting God into his life. You can see it. You can see it in his first five years in the league, in his attitude, and his approach, and, and everything said that this young man, while not perfect, is seeking a relationship with God and employing those values to put together a great start to an NFL career. But I'm looking at someone who is allowing what Deshaun Watson got to drive his entire entire vision about what he needs to be happy as an NFL player. He, he put a tweet out on the 27th a couple of days ago where he said uh, the, the Baltimore Ravens don't value me or won't meet my value or whatever. That's established based on all reporting and based off of everything we know about uh, Lamar Jackson. That's been established by Deshaun Watson who has a totally different path and lane and style of play than Lamar Jackson. I, 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 I have no interest in denigrating Lamar's style of play. 
it is successful. It won him the MVP. Baltimore is constantly in the playoff race. Baltimore is willing to continue down that path and trying to develop Lamar Jackson. But they are wise enough to know his style of play will get him injured and has gotten him injured. He's missed 10 of 22 games. No one in the NFL, in their right mind, will guarantee Lamar Jackson $200 million guaranteed. Will they pay him fairly? Absolutely. $40 million a year for playing a game, 130, 140 million of it guaranteed, no different than uh, Russell Wilson or Josh Allen or what these other guys are getting in guarantees. But he's so distracted about by what Deshaun Watson's gotten, he can't see that given his style of play, given his injury history, given the fact that it takes a specific offensive scheme to get the best out of Lamar Jackson, he has to accept that his path is different than Deshaun Watson. I had to go through the exact same thing in my career as a journalist. I, I'm, I, I can't... 1999, 2000-ish, in that era, I can remember being on ESPN's campus in Bristol, Connecticut, and one of their top executives uh, walking me around, uh, having me meet with executives. At this time, I was uh, a star for the Kansas City Star as a sports columnist. I think I had just started appearing on the sports reporters. Everybody could see, like, man, Jason Whitlock is a big-time sports journalism talent. This is, again, this is 1999 is 2000. And I can remember the executive, and, and I'm not going to call his name because I, I'm not trying to denigrate or embarrass him, but he told me at that time, he was trying to subtly nudge me towards a style of broadcasting and journalism and public persona that didn't fit me. And so he kept referencing Stuart Scott, and he kept subtly saying and directly saying, man, it's a great time to be authentically black. It's a great time to lean into a big personality. And, and at that time, Stuart Scott was the gold standard for ESPN broadcasters. And, and, and I said to him, I was like, hey, man, I'm not Stuart Scott. I'm a journalist. I do something completely different. I, I'm, I'm not, I mean, in my writing, I may make some hip-hop references or whatever, but when I go on camera, I'm doing something completely different. I, I, I'm, I'm here to be an authority on the news. And again, that was not a lane that ESPN saw me in, in my view, and again, I'm not, I'm just being factual, I'm not trying to denigrate people. ESPN didn't see black journalists as journalists. They saw them strictly as personalities. And I'm like, oh, I can be a personality, but I'm a personality who's a journalist first. I'm not going to go on and do the over the top. and and. Bottom line, the guy would say, we need you to go Stuart Scott and or Stephen A. Smith. 
Stephen A. Smith and I are peers. Stephen A. at this time was, I think, doing some work at ESPN and, and uh, not a lot, but doing some work, I think, at this time. And, and they were trying to nudge everybody uh, that direction. This is not a criticism of, Stuart, of Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. does what's authentic to Stephen A. You, you talk to Stephen A. off camera, he is the exact same person. I once uh, was doing a, a speech at the Pointer Institute in Florida. It's a big journalism place, uh, think tank, whatever, and I'm speaking to young people. And Stephen A. walked by, and Stephen A. and I were very friendly. It's so I, Stephen A., come on in. I'm giving this speech. And I was like, Stephen A., you want to share a few words with the crowd? 45 minutes later, I said, hey, Stephen A., I'm here. They, they're paying me to give a speech, bro. We, we got we to gotta cut this off. That's Stephen A. And, I'm, and I'm, there's not one ounce of exaggeration because I can be like way too kind and way too. I let that man talk for 45 straight minutes because there was no good place to interrupt him. It was not his speech. He, he wasn't even there. to speak. I think he was just there. I don't think he wasn't giving any speeches. So I was like, hey, Stephen A., come by, say a few 45 straight minutes. And I had to cut him off. That's Stephen A. Anytime you meet him, he's not being I'm not that way. And so St Stephen A is what they like, and that's he's got a big, magnificent career at ESPN. He makes $10, 12000000 million a year. I, I, I don't say this. Uh, I'm just saying it factually. I'm not bragging. I'm not. But Stephen A is not half the journalist that I ever was and still am to this day. That wasn't his thing. Stephen A is a natural-born personality. And and but that is a lane that ESPN and a lot of corporate media reserve for white people. They want to, in my view, control the conversation by defining the conversation and then allowing black personalities to comment on the the discussions they have defined. That's what's most important. If they get to define the talking terms, they can always control the conversation and let you say whatever you want because you're just a personality. I'm a journalist. I want to define the conversation because that's what's important. And then I want to turn around and be the authority on the conversation, not just a personality on the conversation. They don't allow that for us. I, I'm not an idiot. I knew what I was doing in 1999 and 2000 and at other times when people tried to push me into a different lane than what I really am naturally. I knew I was turning down money. I knew I had anybody that knows me and has seen me knows I do have a personality. I like to laugh at myself. I can crack jokes. I can do all that. And they just, oh, if you just do all that, you know how much money you would make? You know how popular you would be? Blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but that's not what I want to do. I'm here for a different purpose. I'm here to perform a different act. And it will not pay me $12 million a year because that's not what they sign at this time. That's not what they sign black people up to do at ESPN or in sports media in general. And I'm going to do me and I'll take less money and less popularity 
to do what I think is right and important. And so this is what I'm not every lane is for everybody. And so I would like to tell Lamar Jackson or anybody that's talking to Lamar Jackson, he does something different than most of these quarterbacks. You can still have a good, a great NFL career. Don't just run away from Baltimore, an organization that truly loves and cares about you. They've got the big investment in you. They took the risk. They've turned their entire franchise over to you. Lamar, you're not a victim. There's just a narrow path for you that, that God has granted you interest into this narrow path. And, and your career, based on your style of play and skill set, may only last 10 or 12 years. But you'll make a lot of money. You've got your website and your passion for kids and passion for Christ. There's a lot of things you can do. Now you can go after this big amount of money and, and satisfy your ego. And I got the same as Deshaun Watson. You can listen to pe perhaps the people at the NFLPA that are telling you to hold the line and get this money. And that's what's best for the league. And you got to stay blah, blah. I just don't think that's for you. And, and I know I'm from way far away. But I've seen so many people accept the bag and then be forced to come out of character and start doing things that don't come natural to them. Lamar Jackson is not going to be Patrick Mahomes. Not going to be. And that's fine. Again, that's perfectly fine. Great quarterback, a lot of money, and get to be yourself and work in an organization that best knows how to exploit your physical gifts. I'm just afraid he's surrounded by people that are all telling him, man, you better get that bag that Deshaun Watson got. And man, they're crazy for thinking you can't play from the pocket. They got to give you all these receivers. And, and just the reality is football people know it. These receivers don't want to go play with Lamar because they watch the tape too. And they're after the money. And so the best top receivers don't want to play with Lamar. Not an insult, it's personal. Do you know how many people in sports journalism don't want to work with me because I'm too controversial, I say too many things that will get them into trouble, and so they keep their distance from me. I could whine and cry about it, or I could say, I chose a narrow path, a very narrow path. I'm going to stick to this Bible. And I get that that scares a lot of people off. It's a narrow path. It's not. And so, Lamar, if you're a true believer, you're not going to get everything everybody else gets. And, and you got to learn to be good with it. I had to learn to be good with it. It's not easy. But and, and sometimes you'll you'll think it's unfair. You'll have those moments. But at some point, you got to have peace with who you are and what your path is. And it's just not the same as Deshaun Watson tricking the Cleveland Browns and overpaying him or what some of these other pocket quarterbacks may get and, and offenses they may run that, that just may not be for you. And, and so I just think, Anthony, there's a, a life lesson for everybody in that, that we all have 
choices we have to make. And and people people say it in a secular way: all money ain't good money. That's true. It's 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 it. But I, I just was thinking about this last night and writing and thinking more about it this morning. And and, and I thought about you. And I, mm-hmm. I just know ministers, y'all choose a very narrow path. There's a yes. bunch of things the world can do, will do, has time to do mm-hmm. that you don't. You know, even as a minister, um, you'll be offered uh, money to do so many different things. There are people that may uh, want you to be into this kind of uh, sermonic, you know, preaching this kind of way. There, there are businesses that may look at you to say, man, if we could just have this face that could communicate, you're a good orator, we'll pay you X, Y, Z to do this. There's money out there even in, in ministers' faces. And even within that, if you decide to be the prosperity gospel, if you decide to be the preacher that is telling everybody, the scriptures even talk about this, preaching unto people that have itching ears. They, they want to hear what they want to hear. People will pay for that. So you can abandon your values. You can abandon the truth of the scriptures and you'll be very, very wealthy doing it. And you'll have all of that. Or you can stick to what the word says. Oftentimes I have to preach to the church, sometimes sermons of repentance. You don't get a lot of amens and a lot of, yeah, let's say it on those kind of sermons because some of the people sitting in the pews are doing the things that I'm preaching against, that God's word is against. But I'm called by God to preach it in season and out of season when they want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it. So if you want to be a minister that's sticking to God's word, that's preaching according to what God wants you to preach, you will be hated by some folk. People will leave. You will not be a multimillionaire. But it's not about the money. It's about purpose. It's about doing what God has called you to do. So with Lamar. You talk about your advice to him, uh, the advice that I was given as a young man coming up from uh, my mentor and from other wise men. If you do what you do and you do it well, uh, money will come to you. You know, it, it'll, it'll come. Those opportunities, those financial opportunities will come. You'll always be taken care of. Um, biblically, David says, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So. Lamar, you're going to be all right financially. You're you're already being paid millions to play a game that you enjoy to play. Um, But if you go to this path of chasing the bag, I, I look at it this way, Jason. Great athletes will get to a point in their career where they have to choose either that legendary greatness that they desire or they want to choose the money. And you know a lot of very wealthy athletes that had a stunted career. They got a big contract, but they were out in two or three years. You got the money, but you lost the legendary status. But then you look at those legendary athletes, the Jordans, the, like you point out, the Bradys. Brady for years was underpaid. I mean, tremendously underpaid. But now... I think Fox just gave him a $375 million contract. He's making more money now to talk about the game, almost as much as that he made playing the game. Legendary status. You look at Jordan, most of his career, a lot of the money that he made came outside of the game, but because of what he did in practice and what he did honing his craft. So, you know, I would advise Lamar, you know, to not chase after the bag, chase after the book. Uh, Don't chase after the purse, 
uh, chase after the purpose. God has a purpose for him. It, it, did you have a chance to look at his website mm -hmm. and, and, you know, look at his, do, do you see the same thing? I, he's just yeah. a typical young person who's trying the best that he can. Mm -hmm. I just think he's surrounded by so many different forces that maybe he can't, he, 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 he can't fully figure it out like most same young thing. people. I see the same thing you see, uh, well-intentioned. I see kind of a, man, I, I, I want to do great. And, and his fan base, they love him. And I, I truly see when you see clips of him at his camps, he loves kids. He loves the game. Uh, he loves his teammates. They love him. All that's good. But you're right. If you are, and, and as the rumor mill is talking about, if you're pursuing Deshaun Watson money, one of the reasons why you can't pocket watch is you don't know what that person did to get that money. You don't know what strings are attached. You don't know what backdoor deals had to be made. You don't understand any of that. And you don't necessarily want what they have. As you pointed out, God has a path for all of us. He's got a path for you. He knows what Jason can handle. And you may not be able to handle what this media person or that media person can handle. And if you stay in your lane and you do your task, it's wide open for you, no traffic on it for you. But if you try to hop over in somebody else's lane, you're gonna get Deshaun Watson problems. You're gonna get $230 million problems. You're gonna get those kind of expectations. You're gonna get away from what made you, you know, the fans trust eight, I guess, so to speak. You're gonna get away from that. So spend time honing your craft. And I'll tell you this too, if he delivered Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl wins, we wouldn't even be talking about money right now. I mean, they, Patrick Mahomes, again, as he comes through and he's delivering on what the team wants, the team, all of these teams, they don't really want uh, just MVP players or really good players. They want banners. They want trophies. They want organizational wins because that takes care of the organization down the line. If you delivered on the organizational goals of winning championships, we wouldn't even be talking about money right now. All right, we're going to get deeper into the football part of this with Coach JB, Jason Brown, next. Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, and we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let him chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let him sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl, and you're gonna let him make the Bible hate speech. 
you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is going to do it and God's going to walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you. So it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, time for some last chance cue with the real coach, JB, Coach Jason Brown. Love to talk Lamar Jackson NFL with JB. JB can cover it from a, a coach's perspective and an organizational perspective. J JB, I, I just laid out that I, I believe Lamar should actually be feeling gratitude toward the Baltimore Ravens. They took a chance on him in the first round turned their franchise basically over to him, constructed an offense, defense, running game, everything, a system to cater to Lamar Jackson, made him, helped him become a superstar and MVP, and, and, and now he feels devalued because they won't meet the, uh, the Deshaun Watson price tag. They won't make that mistake, but, but I, I actually feel like Lamar should have gratitude and affection for Baltimore. You agree with me there? Um, yeah, I, I say it all the time, Jason. There's a difference between deserving and being worthy. Um, I think he deserves the money and the contract to be greater than Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson. Um, I don't believe he's worthy of the contract. I think there's just two completely different things here that I don't think people can really truly grasp. Uh, I don't think they understand the difference. Lamar's had no off the field issues. Deshaun has. Uh, the more we hear from ownership in the NFL, 
the less suitors Lamar has. And uh, Arthur Blank said it pretty much summed it up yesterday when he said that, um, you know, hey, man, you're not really what we want. You're not getting the money Deshaun Watson got because basically you can't throw like him. Uh, and this NFL thing is not sustainable the way you play, Lamar. And unfortunately, the NFL took a shot on a guy that's you can argue is a creep, a weirdo, whatever you want to say about Deshaun Watson. They took a shot on him. They paid him big money. And he's an outlier, Jason. He is an anomaly. That happens in all business. Uh, there's anomalies. There's outliers. It doesn't mean everyone deserves uh, or is worthy of the same or equal value. They don't get the money that Deshaun Watson gets. Um, we see it every year in every business. And Lamar is just unfortunate um, sacrificial lamb in this uh, in this regard because at the at the bottom line is he should be somewhat uh, thankful to Baltimore. They've given him every opportunity. They built an offense around him. Uh, they've created a complete roster to adhere to his skill set. Like that doesn't happen in the NFL, Jason. If you look at all the rosters. You see Chicago, Justin Fields got drafted. They ran an offense for Justin Fields. He got hurt. Who comes in? Andy Dalton came in that year. What did he do? They ran a West Coast style play action drop back offense. Completely different. The Ravens didn't. The Ravens ran the offense to suit Lamar Jackson. When he got hurt, RG3 came in. They ran the same offense. If he got hurt, McSorley came in. They ran the same offense. No other NFL team ran is ran like that. They completely sold out to 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 cater to Lamar Jackson, and he failed. One playoff win. Uh, the personal accolade, Jason. Sure, he got an MVP. Yippee! You have one playoff win, no Super Bowls, and the bottom line is, Jason, he needs to shut up and get off social media. He's making himself even look worse. Um, He's writing horribly grammatically incorrect tweets. Um, he talks about this as a business, yet your business looks like an elementary school ad. Um, and again, it proves you're a quarterback. You're not an O lineman. Uh, you got to get an agent. Um, you got to get an agent. It's not. It's. It's just. It is what it is. I, I asked Steve Kim. Let me ask you this, Jace, before you ask another question. Laramie Tunzel didn't have an agent. He signed a big deal. Everyone wants to come after me about that. Completely different, Jason. Completely different. You're not the face of the franchise, Laramie Tunzel. You are going to sign a contract regardless. You know why, Jason? You're going to protect the highest paid person in the NFL, the quarterback. You're going to always have a job, Laramie Tunzel. You don't need an agent. Lamar has to have an agent. Tell me a quarterback that has signed a big deal without an agent. And I'll sit here and wait. So uh, you said a bunch there. I want to go back to you didn't like his tweets last night. No, I think he needs to stay away. He's bringing more light to his injuries, Jason. If you noticed, he's bringing more light to the PCL and the ACL and the MCL. And you don't want to hear anything with an L in it. Anything with a ligament in the NFL, it's a bad thing. And he just keeps bringing light to it, his attention to it. And all the owners see his tweets and they're like, 
Yeah, probably more reason to stay away from you. You're not sustainable. You've missed 10 games uh, over the last two years. I mean, I would stay off Twitter. That's that's again coming back to a bad business move, bad business decision. Uh, I, I hear people come on my show. They're like, well, J- Coach J- JB, I would love, you know, I, I, I like that he's not using an agent. He's keeping that 3%. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Ignorance is life-threatening. I'll pay 3% to go make $200 million. Sorry. Uh, it just makes no sense to me. Um, even if it was 10%, like Patrick Mahomes paid, um, you know, uh, Lee Steinberg. You know, it's a $500 million deal. Lee Steinberg's getting 10%. Um, I would still pay that. I believe you would, too. Lamar Jackson needs to pay the 3 to 5 to 7% to get an agent representing him. So the tweets are cleaned up. They're calculated. And they're not just him laying on his bed, mad at the world, tweeting like I do. I don't have, I have no dog in the fight. That's me tweeting. Come on, Lamar. You have a you have a long, you have another 10 years in this league if you can figure it out and le- learn how to be sustainable. If you don't, Jason, here's my here's my hot take, Jason. Lamar Jackson is becoming what a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL fear. It's called a journeyman. Baker Mayfield is now what? He's an NFL journeyman. Basically, they're the same age, Jason. Baker Mayfield is signing one-year contracts everywhere he goes. The Rams, the Bucks, the Panthers. He's a journeyman now. I'm sorry, but I think Lamar Jackson is heading down that path. He may be the next big-time journeyman MVP that you see. He's only played for one team so far, JB. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. No, I I hear you. You don't – look, here's one thing you said that I totally agree with in terms of the tweets. If I'm ownership, do I get in a room, or if I'm a top executive, do I get in a room – and negotiate with Lamar or his mom when I know, like, hey, is what I'm about to say, could this end up on Twitter? This agent, I know it's not going to end up on Twitter because he represents 15 other players and he doesn't want to burn a bridge with me, and so I can trust that no one's ever going to reveal what we say in this room because what we say in this room may get uncomfortable. We may have to ask some questions about your injury and why did you miss that game? And they don't want to see that on Twitter with, hey, my name, Joe Blow, uh, chief operating officer or team president of whatever team said X, Y, and Z to me. They're afraid of that. And so I I I do agree with you there in terms of like the tweets are scaring people away because, again, Lamar is not the standard agent. He's got people like RG3 in his ear. He's got others in his ear. They, they, they don't know what the mother will do. Because, again, this is her child. This is very personal to her. You, you know what a, a mother will fight a lion <laughs> to save her child. Baby. And, and, and so I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, what do you think about my position with the media won't give Lamar Jackson sound, solid advice from afar? Everybody in the media, corporate media, 
oh, you're a victim, it's a travesty, no one's offering you this contract. There, there's no one sitting out there saying, well, hold on, man, Tom Brady was never the highest paid guy in the league. And he never demanded that he be the highest paid guy in the league. Look at his accomplishments, look at his brand, look at his track record of success. How come no one on ESPN or anywhere is giving Lamar that advice? There's the thing. A mother will also throw his young to the lion. Let's make sure we're clear. Uh, blood is sometimes thicker than water. It's not always thicker than water. Uh, I find that out the hard way. But let me let me tell you this. Jason, your resume and my resume at this point in life is on paper. It is a paper resume. We hand it to you like this. Athletes' resumes are their social media content and what they post. And it goes with you wherever you end up. It is screenshot away from either ruining your career or getting you another job. And right now, his resume is Twitter and Instagram, and that is where they look for the next hot take or the next deciding factor as if we're going to take a shot at Lamar Jackson. I believe his days in Baltimore are over. I've been saying this for three, four months. I believe they're over. I think it is a done deal. I don't think he goes back there. If he does go back there, Jason, this is a player-driven league. We have a lot of... Uh, we have a lot of issues that we see nowadays in a generation, in my opinion, that is as soft as, as Charmin. And what tells you to bring him back and tag him? Let's franchise tag him, okay? What stops Lamar Jackson in this generation from faking a hamstring injury and not playing for you? What stops him from not playing for you and faking an injury because he has so much built up uh, animosity towards that franchise. Um, that is something that a lot of people, my friends were just talking about uh, that are tied into these guys in this NFL. He said, that's a thing they run into more than often than not in the NFL guys will it, literally fake injuries and to stay out of this thing. And they'll collect workers comp on top of it. How about that? So there's a lot of issues in here that's going to happen. I think Baltimore knows this. I think they got to shop him and get him out. And uh, I believe that it's going to take until the draft, but it's going to be very interesting. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if, if this is going to be uglier or if it's going to be better, but I think Baltimore needs to get rid of him ASAP um, just for the simple fact that you brought up. Does he owe them uh, some gratitude? Uh, I think he does. 133 million is a lot of money guaranteed. I would have took it. Um, now that he's not, now Baltimore kind of has him by the short hairs because now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You don't. Baltimore would be in trouble, Jason, if 10 teams were offering. There's not 10 teams. There's a possible Indianapolis Colts. A possible. It's like playing spades, Jason. I got two and a possible. He don't have any and a possible. <laughs> He has a possible. Like, that's a bad hand, Jason. He has a possible. I don't know if the, if the Ravens are worried about that. And I'm like, well, you can come back here and play into the tag, or you go ahead and good luck. Um, I just see bad things happening if he stays in Baltimore, and I think Harbaugh's job's on the line. So I think Harbaugh has to get rid of him. Finally, 
one of my biggest fears is, let's say the Colts do acquire him. They're willing to step up, give him all that money, give up the draft picks, the whole nine. I, I, I think Lamar, in his current mindset, this defensive, this, this I got to prove everybody wrong, it could compel him to change up his style of play and try to do things that don't naturally fit his strength, and it, it could just blow up in his face. But the whole thing, he could get his money, but he might end up really hurting himself and damaging his brand and reputation by trying to do things that don't fit his strength. That can, that can very well be. That can very well be. I, I, I had an NFL insider on my show today, and, and we asked this question, Jason. What happened to the day that the quarterback sacrificed the $40, $50 million one lump sum year to win a Super Bowl? Tom Brady, you mentioned earlier, he didn't take the money on purpose. He had other outside money coming in. He used his name and marketed himself well, but he took he took less contract to build the roster to get the Randy Mosses of the world and to get the LeGarrette Blunts to win Super Bowls. Quarterbacks don't care anymore, Jason. I don't think Lamar cares. I don't think Kyler Murray cares. I don't think any of these guys care. They want the money. They could care less about sacrifice, winning a, 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 winning a, ch a championship, staying for multiple years. Sean Salisbury brought this up yesterday, and, and, and he asked me to share this with you. When do you recall great, legendary, MVP, Hall of Fame's type of quarterbacks being traded like they are today? When have we ever seen mm. big-time quarterbacks continue to be traded or even discussed. You didn't see t Joe Montana till late in his career asked to be asked to leave to go to Kansas City. Steve Young stayed for the most part. When have you seen Troy Aikman stayed? Um, Jim Kelly stayed after the USFL. Warren Moon stayed after the Canadian League and USFL. When have you seen Drew Brees got traded early and stayed in New Orleans forever? Peyton Manning stayed forever until at the, until the end. Eli stayed. I mean, look at the guys who once Ben Roethlisberger stayed. Philip Rivers, for the most part, stayed in San Diego. When have you seen these great quarterbacks get traded or even talked about like they are right now? The only reason you see it, Jason, because they don't care about winning. They want the money. And it's not their fault? Probably not. It's probably a generational thing that these organizations have created by paying guys astronomical amounts of money for returning very, very small things. They haven't even got you a Super Bowl yet, and Kyler Murray got $200 million. Deshaun Watson hasn't done anything. Not only did he fight 30 cases, he got $250 million guaranteed. Like, what is going on? That is why you're going to continue to see this at all-time rate. Quarterbacks being traded like this blows Sean and I's mind. We're like, why? Well, simple fact well, is that that's the NBA influence. That's the NBA player empowerment influence coming to the NFL. And Deshaun Watson demanded a trade and got out of Houston. And now Lamar Jackson's doing it in Baltimore. You're right. It's unprecedented. 
but, but legacy is, is just not as important as it used to be. And the only legacy that, that people understand right now is the bag. And what's my bank account say? Uh, JB, great job as always. Uh, thank you for the time. I, I, I do, Anthony, I want to end this part before we get to Steve Kim on, you know, earlier this week we talked about, I think the Wall Street Journal did a study that talks about how much American values have changed. I don't know if you saw this, mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. money has now become much more of a priority than mm -hmm. faith in God, than patriotism, than everything, that everything is about the bag. That's how people, that, that's a new identity. Yes. Uh, that, that, anything, but an, anything but an image bearer of God is the priority, and now bank account is. But, but keep, keep going with the narrative, though. If everybody is shifting towards money is the most important thing, the book, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So we can't look at that and just see, oh, man, everybody's talking about money. I'm looking at that and seeing, oh, we're getting ready to get really, really evil right now because that's where everybody's pointing. Well, that's that's a good note to get to Steve <laughs> on. Hey, uh, make sure you're hitting those likes, hitting the notifications, hitting that bell so you get the alerts so you know when to come watch the show, 6 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday. Uh, you can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Korean Cosell, Steve Kim. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to Los Angeles, bring in... They, why did they put this in prompter? The most clever man on the show? I, 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 who told them to put the... Who, did you request that intro, uh, Steve Kim? Do you think you're the most clever man on the show? Uh, I certainly don't. You know, and it's clever with the K. Oh, that's good. Oh, that, but anyway, Jason, how you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, what did you think of Lamar Jackson's uh, tweet storm last night? JB just took a dump on it, didn't like it at all. I had to concede it probably scares some NFL executives. This guy's going to be tweeting about our meetings. Can we really trust this guy? What's your thoughts? You know, I, I wanted to do like Jonathan Ogden and block him. I mean, good grief. He, he needs a new T-shirt. Tweet less, no one cares. Or, or we need to show that to him because now it's becoming a bit cringeworthy and he's becoming what he said that he wasn't and what we believe that he wasn't. And that was just a guy that put his head down and worked, stood for the right things and just play, paid. And I get it. He wants his money. And a lot of us would feel this way. But this is not the behavior that we would expect from a franchise quarterback, or if another franchise quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers showed diva tendencies, we would then also be critical of them. So we have to be fair about Holy this. Holy cow. I just saw your approval. You got them all the way down to a 50? Yeah. You're really I'm down. Gonna... Look, look, I'm fair about this. If you're going to act like this and do your version of Kyler Murray, my eighth cousin, you know, he's part Korean, by the way, you, you can go back to the archives. I was all over that little guy. 
people. I am fair and balanced. This is what I bring to the table. KNN, the Korean News Network, right? I, I don't like it. I, I just don't. He's coming off as a malcontent, and it is disappointing to see. Mm, well, I've still got him at a 65. Anthony, where did, where did you can – we, can we throw up Anthony's approval score? We get a chance. I want to see uh, who, who's closer to – if Anthony's closer to me. I saw where JB's got him at a 52. You and JB yeah. are colluding on, yeah. on that. Anthony's got him at a 70. Yeah, yes. Anthony's optimistic. I, I, I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him for that. I got him at a 65. Anyway, Steve – I've, I argue today that the guy should feel gratitude towards the Baltimore Ravens that they turned their entire franchise over to him, put him in position to be MVP and a superstar in the league. And, and I just think rather than anger and animus because they won't repeat the Browns' mistake, he should feel grateful. I, I think he got paid $23 million last year, the last year of his rookie deal. This dude ain't broke. He's not a victim. Well, it's interesting that you use that word because I believe he's committing the ultimate sin, the sin of ingratitude. And you're right. And now he's becoming very, very embittered. I'm going to say this again at this point. Get yourself arless if you need to, because the representation <laughs> that he's getting to him for himself, I honestly, if, if someone else was doing this to him, he would sue them for malpractice. He truly would. It's one of the most bizarre episodes I've seen probably since T.O., Terrell Owens, had that meltdown after that Super Bowl year in Philly where Drew Rosenhaus had that press conference. And literally every other answer was, uh, next question. Next question. I'm like, oh, God, Terrell, fire this guy. You're not getting your 3% here. And you know what? Neither is Lamar Jackson. And he has to ask himself a very, very honest question. As do his supporters and his media advocates. Does this behavior make you more prone to want to sign him if you're a franchise, or does it lessen that desire? Let's be very blunt about it. If I was the Steve Kim rooftop Koreans franchise, I'd be like, nah, I'm good on him. I'm good on him. Just, just me, though. The other problem I have is, is no one in corporate media is referencing Tom Brady when they talk about Lamar Jackson. Mm. They're all referencing Deshaun Watson. Right. There should be a message there. Tom Brady is the gold standard in the NFL. If, if, if I want people talking about me, I want them, well, what did Tom Brady do? The whole conversation is about what did Deshaun Watson get? And, and so, that's, I don't want to be in that conversation. I want to be in the conversation if I'm Lamar Jackson, I really believe. How do I get to GOAT status? How do I follow in Tom Brady's footsteps? And one of the wisest things Tom Brady did was he realized, in my opinion, hey, I'm not Peyton Manning. Right. Peyton Manning's dad is Archie Manning. Peyton Manning was, came out the womb an NFL quarterback with a dad to groom him. I'm not as talented as him. But if I play my cards right, when this marathon's over, I'm going to be in front of Peyton Manning. I don't understand why people aren't talking to Lamar this way and, and suggesting, hey, dude, you don't have to get oh. 
Deshaun's contract. Get a contract that fits and works for you in Baltimore and keep it going there in Baltimore. Jason, and I'll tell you why, it, it dovetails right to what you wrote today. Tom is not immersed or influenced by the bag culture. So he consistently took a little bit less to eventually get more in terms of his legacy and, and the way he's thought of, the endorsement opportunities. But, you know, it's funny that I bring up Arliss. By the way, top 10 all-time HBO show for me. And it reminds me of one of the famous scenes ever. So Arliss is negotiating with some baseball team, and he, I guess he's got some relief pitcher. And the owner of the GM says, well, Arliss, this is my final offer. For this year, he's getting 800000 guaranteed. And Arliss goes, 800000 He's got a family to feed. Like, give me a break, folks. They're making it sound like it's either he gets the Deshaun Watson contract and the Ravens and the rest of the NFL want to pay him the rookie or the veteran minimum. It's like it's almost like they don't believe that a gray area or a middle ground exists in this situation. It's not good. What's your prediction on how this is going to turn out? Do you think these tweet storm last night is the final straw? No chance he crawls back to Baltimore? Oh, what? You wait a minute. Let me reference that scene again. Uh, waiting to exhale. Remember when Angela Bassett's character, when she found out that her doctor husband uh, was uh, had the little Becky Beckington at the office, and she threw his car, his golf clubs, all his suits, all the fancy ties, the watches, all his Air Jordans, and just got the lighter fluid and just lit it on fire. That's what he did. And he just walked away like Angela Bassett, her sexy self. <laughs> all right, let me move you to another topic. Did you see yeah. this uh, pretend dispute between Stephen A. Smith and uh, Dan Levitard? Levitard criticized uh, Stephen A. Smith. On, Stephen A. Smith was on the show and some friendly banter, but blame Stephen A. Smith for creating the debate culture and ruining sports talk, and you're responsible for all of it. Stephen A. handled it pretty well in real time, but then came back and taped his own podcast uh, responding to Dan Levitard. Stephen A., as he tends to be, is long-winded. This is a three-minute chunk that gets at some of it, but not all of what Stephen A. Smith had to say. It's amazing to me how, oh my Lord, the impact Stephen A. had on this industry. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Really? Really? And what impact would that be? People trying to be loud? People trying to be bombastic? That's all y'all got? That's it. We just going to ignore everything that happened prior to that. We going to ignore that I did internships at the Winston-Salem Journal, the Greensboro News and Record, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, then back at the Greensboro News and Record. We going to ignore that I started off my career in High Point, North Carolina, living off a of tuna fish and Kool-Aid. We going to ignore that I worked a day job as an editorial assistant. 40 plus hours a week and then in my free time worked an additional 30 hours a week covering high school sports beyond throughout the Piedmont Triad area in North Carolina. We're going to ignore that I started off my career in journalism as a high school sports reporter for the New York Daily News. We're going to ignore that I went to the Philadelphia Inquirer and I started off after being a high school writer 
and covering homicide before I was covering sports? We're going to ignore that I went to the Philadelphia Inquirer? St. Joe's, Temple basketball, Temple football, both at the same time, backup NBA writer, NBA beat writer, NBA columnist, then the 21st African-American in this nation's history to be named a general sports columnist? We're just going to ignore that. We're going to ignore that I worked at CNNSI. Then I went to Fox Sportsnet. I was supposed to be on the best damn sports show, period, but I didn't want the job full time. That's how John Sally got it. Before I landed at ESPN. We're just going to ignore all of that. We're going to ignore all of that. And we're going to look at the fact that, oh, my God, I'm in a platform where opinions have taken over. And because opinions have taken over and I'm the one that people, at least for the last 11 years, because I've been number one. That people pay attention to my opinions in the morning that I've spawned this breed of bombastic, loquacious, demonstrative individuals with people trying to be me. Well, who are these people trying to be me? Who are they? I'm not bragging. I'm not insulting myself. I'm simply saying I'm kind of one of a kind. I don't notice a bunch of people that look and act like Stephen A. That's not what I notice. But even if that's true, how is credit and deference given to that by people or towards people who don't practice journalistic ethics as if I don't? Hmm. And earlier in the show, I talked about like decisions I had to make and and I just couldn't go down that lane, that bombastic, that whole thing, Stephen. I, I just I don't care what it paid. I couldn't do it. But your thoughts on Dan Levitard and Stephen A went on to say like, hey, man, there's all these shows that were before first take and I wasn't even on the original first take. You know, there's all these other shows. So anyway, your take on Stephen A's take about what Levitard had to say. You know, that might be the most intense three minutes I've seen since Hagler Hearn's round one. I I give Stephen (laughs) A credit. I just wonder why didn't he say that in rebuttal to Dan Levitard when he was on the show? Uh, Because I think a lot of what he said is true. And by the way, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but... Do you remember the show Stephen A. did about 15, 17 years ago on ESPN2? I think it was called Quite Frankly with Stephen A. Smith. Um, yes. It was like his own variety show. I love that show, by the way. I know it might surprise you. I watched that thing pretty regularly because he had really good guests on, and he would actually talk about boxing, brought on some boxers. I, I actually thought he was really good in that lane. And – I believe that Levitard is a little bit jealous and envious of the fact Stephen A. has perfected this, that he's a bigger name. But it is funny. It's almost like gonorrhea telling syphilis, well, you're worse than I am. Look, they're all in the same thing. (laughs) Honestly. And and Stephen A. Smith is a little bit, he's not quite as liberal. In fact, he seems to have some conservative leanings based on the fact that he goes on, what, Fox News? And he's friendly with people that are definitely on the other side of the cultural and political aisle of Levitard and his cabal. And, and I just think, and again, just my opinion, 
there may be some pent-up animosity over that factor, that he's not fully on their side of the social and cultural lane. So I think all those things play a factor. But to blame Stephen A. Smith, who, in my view, has reached the top of the mountain, okay, and has made this an incredibly successful and lucrative career, I think Levitard is a little bit envious, as I said. I, I disagree with that just because, one, uh, Dan probably agrees with Stephen A. on most political issues. Dan just does a, a gimmick and an act on his podcast. Mm. Dan's parents are Cuban refugees. Dan, 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 Dan is down in Miami, Florida with a bunch of Cubans who are to the right of Ronald Reagan, including his family. Yes. Uh, and so Dan does a nice little act because that's what it takes to get paid in, in this modern culture that, that's been constructed in the sports world. But I, I don't think he really disagrees with Stephen A. Smith on anything substantive. Uh, and, I, and I don't think, I, I just think he's just trying to be provocative and wants to be in the news cycle. But Anthony, you know, you're a sports fan. What, what, do you have a take on Stephen A. Smith? Are you a fan? Or No, I was a fan early on. Now he seems to, I guess I'm tired of his long-windedness now. Uh, early on with him and Skip, I was a fan of him. And I remember, quite frankly, I remember following a lot of the stuff that he did through the NBA world. He's, he's made his sacrifices, but he's no originator of the debate stuff. I don't know where Dan is going. Yeah. I, well, I just, he, you know, he's picking a fight or a pretend Jason, fight. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Here's another theory that I have. Dan Levitard is the guy that helped launch and really promote Bomani Jones. He probably thinks Stephen <laughs> A. Smith the role that he has and the success he had, that should be Bromani's, not Stephen A. I also no. think there may be something there too, though. I really believe that because Bomani is his guy, and he sees the beating that Bomani is taking as television sets that have HBO on it turn off the channel as soon as he comes on. While Stephen A. Smith, say what you want, he is still a guy that is buzzworthy. People watch him at a higher level. He's a much more popular brand and maybe Levitard was saying, you know what? Your brand of what you do should not be more popular than Bomani. So I also think that plays a role. I have the misfortune of, of having known all of these guys. And, <laughs> and Bomani and Dan are uh, polar opposites. Don't like each other. I, I really? pretend like they do, but do not huh. like, no, do not like each other. Wow. And <laughs> uh, really? just, yes, yeah. They're, 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 I couldn't tell from their show that yeah. they own. Yeah. No. Bomani thinks Dan is incredibly lazy. And because, and this is just, this isn't me taking a shot. Dan, if he were being honest, since he left the Miami Herald, he is incredibly lazy. Mm. He, he And he feels like he's, Old, I, I that show highly questionable. I came on once or twice, and and uh, you know he'd show up right before the cameras turned on, and just kind of wing it. It's a it was a very lazy show. He needed Bomani uh, on the show to give it some street cred. So when they because they used to bring on all these rappers on mm -hmm. highly questionable, mm -hmm. and he needed Bomani to do that to legitimize that. And uh, but Bomani thought he was lazy, and Dan thought uh, Bomani was one of the most arrogant, uh, unaccomplished people 
that he's ever met. Because uh, oh. Bomani, in, in the sports media world, Bomani has no accomplishments. He's got no W's. It's all L's. He gets opportunities because liberals like him. Uh, he plays for the right team. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and and it, it, it's it's anyway. I could go on, but I, I won't. But they, they don't like each other. Go okay. ahead, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, well, you know, it's pretty oh, clear to me we don't like each other either. Uh, but I tell you one thing: we do have in common. We love succession. <laughs> oh, can we get to succession? <laughs> Tee it up, Jason. I want to talk about. Go succession. ahead. No, 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 no. I mean, you. Go, it's your show at this point. Go ahead. And do you want to talk about succession? I did. I'll just say this: I love the first episode of the the, the fourth season. It aired on yeah. uh, Sunday, and I was like, because sometimes I can be a little up and down on Succession. I like it, yeah. but sometimes it's not great. Sunday was a masterpiece. I, I just want to say one thing about Logan Roy, played by Brian Cox. What a fine thespian that, that gentleman is. When I grow up, <laughs> I want to be Logan Roy. I mean, this guy's a combination of Ted Turner, Rupert Murdoch, Jerry Buss, and a little bit of Bob Arum. I mean, what a leader of men. What a leader of men. What a visionary. And his reaction to having happy birthday sung for him. I mean, oh, that just hit home. Don't ever take that guy to Chuck E. Cheese for his birthday. <laughs> but the, the show is so good because it's so raw. It's the last season. I really don't know if I'm going to even keep my HBO subscription after this goes off the air. They don't really do boxing. Um Real sports with Ryan Gumble has gone completely wokeity woke. They don't do their great documentaries anymore. So, but I just want to say one thing. When I look at the kids, boy, what a bunch of morons. But I will say this, Kieran McCulkey, you are no longer the brother. That role of Roman might be the single funniest character on television right now. But um, on the Mount Rushmore of all-time HBO characters, I know Tony Soprano, probably someone from The Wire that you like. Al Swearingen was on there. I'm not so sure. I may have to chisel his face out of there for Logan Roy. What a show. You're forgetting, what a you're show. forgetting, you're forgetting the GOAT of HBO characters. And, and, and I say this in all seriousness. It's not Omar from The Wire. Uh-huh. It's, it's Tony Soprano's number two behind this guy. John Al Swearingen had a good two-year run on Deadwood. Who? What? Who were you John about to say? Cincinnati. I'm kidding. John from Cincinnati. No, that was a terrible no, <laughs> no, no, no. Ari Gold on Entourage is the greatest uh, character in yeah. HBO history. Uh, I liked him. I liked uh, him. Jeremy Piven's acting and that character is one of the great, and, and really, because I, I just re-watched uh, Entourage, it's taken me several months, but I just rewatched the whole series basically. I, maybe I got a few episodes left. Ari Gold is incredible. I wish they had taken him and his wife and done a spinoff show of just him and his wife. Uh, but, but that's the greatest character. But I, I want to go back to Succession and, and say that I do like Roman. I do think he's a great, but, but the actually, the second person that I'm rooting for, maybe other than Logan Roy, is Tom. Yes. His son-in-law, uh, and who's <laughs> him and him and I, him and the cousin are now the disgusting brothers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 
I, I'm t- the Tom character and actor has is a great. He's maybe the only halfway likable person on the show. I mean, I don't like any of Logan's kids. They're all you know screwed up in some way or the other, and I, I certainly don't like his daughter. Uh, oh shit! I, and and shit. I don't. That's the one thing I didn't get is her playing the victim at the end. The way she mistreated this guy for years, yes. and now she's acting like he's the bad guy, that 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 irritated me. No, no, you know what's funny? I think old Tom, he found his inner Kevin Samuels, and he realized, you know what? I'm still aging well. And I think Shiv is like, oh, my God, I've kind of hit that wall. And, and by the way, though, <laughs> this, this is a sicko in me. I may have to repent. From last season... That little flirting between Jerry and Roman, I found that strangely, erotically entertaining. I hope they revisit it because it was some of the funniest dialogue I have ever seen. And Jerry, no, my apologies to whoever you are, a lovely lady. You play your role well. But I, I want to see that again. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> I think Zach Wilson probably really loved that those scenes, right? But anyway, um, I really hope my fear is they do not woke it up. Logan Roy is a shark. He is a predator. He is what he is. I want to see him go down swinging. Uh, I don't want him ever. That scene where they're in that office and he wants, hey, anyone got any jokes? Who's got some? I thought that was one of the most <laughs> uncomfortably brilliant scenes where he's daring people to come on, roast me. Roast me. I'm like, yeah, you don't want Don Rickles here. And the way he shot back at co- Cousin Greg for his father's, uh, I don't want to get into that. I'm just thinking yeah. this is brilliant. Just truly a brilliant the best, after that box. The best scene to me was the matriarch of the PG family. Yeah. And her negotiating, asking for money. Oh, I really hate talking about money. Oh, this is so <laughs> and she, she starts on eight, nine, ten. Oh, it's just so unseemly. I I, I thought that was brilliantly written, brilliantly acted, brilliantly presented. Yeah, and I, I love I love it when she says, I mean, seven million billion, eight billion, I mean nine billion. What comes after that? And, and Roma just goes, uh, 9B. <laughs> I mean, it's it just goes to show you everyone <laughs> loves a buck. Famous line from uh what was it, Roy Hobbs in the natural. I like a buck as much as anyone else. And I just love the ending of it. And I hope no, I'm not spoiling it, but hey folks, it's Wednesday. You should have seen it by now. I just love how he blurts into the phone, Logan Roy to all his Fredos. Hey, congratulations on beating me with a dumb bid. And he just walks off and I'm like, wow. Wow. I am going to be very sad when this series ends. I truly am, Jason. All right. Well, we will try to talk about it once a week. I can't wait till this Sunday. Uh, well, yeah, because the NCAA tournament games will be on Saturday and Monday. So yeah. Sunday, this will be what I watch uh, the, the next episode of, of Succession. It was awesome. Uh, thank you. Uh, Steve, great job. Uh, go to Get Your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com. Uh, we're going to play some tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless.
We are living, get back, we are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. 